I want to begin with a question, and then I really want you to give an answer. I want you to quickly come up with the answer. There's no really right or wrong answer, so there's no test. There's no, you won't be graded. But I want to ask you a question and then have you answer that question and share your answer with your family or your friends, whoever you're with. Here's the question. If you knew that Jesus was coming to your house tomorrow to do something really special, what would you do today to prepare? All right, go for it. We'll give you a minute to come up with an answer and to share that answer with the people that you're with. All right. Well, there could be many answers to that question, right? Um, probably the one that's the most popular would be, I would go home and clean my house. <laughs> Others might say, I don't have anything in my house. I would need to go to the grocery store. And of course, if this really happened this week, you know somebody would say, I need to find some toilet paper. <laughs> Others might say, yeah, there's some things around the house that I've been tolerating, but they're really broken. I'm going to go home and fix them. Some would say, man, I need to give my kids a bath. There would be all kinds of answers, all kinds of things that we would think of that we would need to do to prepare for Jesus coming to our house to do something special. Well, the gospel tells us about a situation where that kind of happened. Um, Jesus was coming through town and there was a, a, just a crowd around him, a huge crowd. But there was a man that wanted to see Jesus, but the Bible says he was really short. And he recognized, I'll never be able to see him because of the crowd. So he saw where Jesus was going to be, and he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus. And about the time he got in front of that tree, he looked up into the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down because I'm going to go to your house today. And that's exactly what happened. They, he went to Zacchaeus' house. They had a great conversation. Zacchaeus really changed his heart. It was, it was wonderful. But I just, <laughs> I was just thinking, what if it wasn't Zacchaeus that was in the tree, but it was Jackie? Yeah, a woman. What if it was a woman and Jesus is coming along the path and he looks up into the tree and he says, uh, Jackie, I want you to come down from the tree. Me and my disciples, we're, we're going to have lunch at your house today. I don't know what might have happened, but it might be that Jackie would have said, Oh, no, Jesus. No, you, no, no, no. I, and then, of course, plays the humble card. No, I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. No, no, no. But Jesus insists. No, we, we, we're going to come to your house and have lunch. And Jackie would get maybe a little more forceful. No, no, Jesus. No, no. Maybe another day. Maybe no, no, you can't. And Jesus persistently says, no, come on, we're going to your house today. I wonder if Jackie would say, Jesus, you're not coming to my house. It's not clean. You know there's some truth in that, right? Well, many times we think that we've got to really do something in order for Jesus to do something for us. But when we really look at God and all that he has done recorded in Scripture, in the Bible, 
we clearly see that God's love for us is an unconditional love, which means there are no hoops that we have to jump through in order to be loved by God. He doesn't love us because we clean up our act. He doesn't love us because we do good things. He doesn't love us because we've got it all together. He loves us because he is love. And then we have the opportunity to love him back. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, in verse number 33. Last verse in that chapter, John 16, 33. Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and he, he comes along and he kind of finalizes this by saying, I've taught you all these things, I've said all these things to you, so that you can have peace. Aren't you glad that God wants us to have peace? He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's saying, I've said all this, I've taught you all these things so that in obedience, you will have peace. I want you to live in peace. And this is a time period in our country and in our world where people are looking for people who have peace. Are they looking for you and me? Are they seeing us? Are they, are, they being, are they gravitating toward us because we have peace? Or are we making a mistake and being all up in arms like the rest of the world? He says, I want you to live in peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You see, the Christian life is not a life that's, that's all perfect. It's all wonderful. And, and no, it's not. We have trouble. We're in this world. He said, you're going to have trouble, but he says, take heart. Another way of saying that would be to take courage, be encouraged, have a courage that is unfamiliar to the world. And why can we do that? Because Jesus has already overcome the world. Everything in the world, the trouble, he's already overcome it. And so therefore, when things happen in life that we're it's uncomfortable and we don't like it. We have to remind ourselves, wait a minute, Jesus has already overcome this problem. And therefore then we have a completely different perspective on what is happening, where we're at, and what's going to happen in the future. We understand that if Jesus has already overcome it, there's really no need for us to just wig out about it. We can rest and relax. God has this under control. When we do that, when we recognize that unconditional love means we don't have any hoops to jump through and that Jesus has already overcome every obstacle, every trouble, every problem, then we're like, hey, life's good because God is good. And we begin to live with a priority that is unlike the rest of the world. We live with the assurance of three things, faith, hope, and love. These three remain, and the greatest of these is love. He says faith, hope, and love. Well, let's look at faith. What is faith? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, in this verse, we see the two aspects of faith. One is an active faith and the other is a passive faith. They both go hand in hand. It's not two faiths. It's both sides of the same coin. 
There is an activity to faith to where we pursue God. He rewards those who diligently pursue Him. And so we spend extra time in prayer. We say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time with you in prayer, not only wanting you to listen to me, but I want to listen to you. We pursue Him with Bible study and reading so that we're not going around blind, but we have a path to walk on His Word. We pursue Him in a ministry that God has given to us, a calling, a gifting. There's so many ways that we pursue God, and that's the activity or the active part of our faith. But then there's also a passivity to our faith, and that's where we rest in peace and we recognize, God, you've got this under control. I'm not going to stop pursuing you, but I'm not going to be all fretful and worried and anxious thinking that I have to do it just right or I can't get blessed. We sit back with peace and we say, God, you've got this. It's going to be okay. Now, isn't that easier said than done? But yet we remind ourselves that our faith in God is for what we have not yet seen. No one has faith for what they've already seen or what they already have. We put our faith in God for what we have not yet seen, the things in the future that we could worry about, but instead we don't. What is it in your life that you need to say, okay, God, that's right. I'm going to put my faith in you to a greater degree than ever before, not just passive faith and not just activity, but both hand in hand, actively pursuing you and also resting in peace, you've got this completely under control. Well then, not only faith, but hope. What is hope? Well, the Bible tells us that faith is the evidence of the things that we are hoping for, Hebrews 11.1. 1. So we can't have faith without hope. Hope is the bedrock of our faith. We are hoping for something that is yet to be. We're hoping for more. We're hoping for distance. We're hoping for travel. We're hoping for more, more of God, more ministry, more opportunities. We're saying, God, we want you to be greater in this community. We want you to have a greater impact on people's lives in our community. Lord, we want you to have a greater impact on my life, on our lives. We're hoping we're hoping for what we have not yet seen. We're hoping for what we don't yet have. And so hope is so vitally important to us because hope is the foundation of our faith. And in Romans 15, verse 3, it says that our lives should be overflowing with faith. I mean, with hope. We should be overflowing with hope so that when people come to us and they say, why do you have a hope? Why, why are you so happy and cheerful? You're not worried. You're not wigged out about all this. You can say, I have a hope in God. I have a faith in God. It's all going to be fine. Now, yeah, that's easier in theory than it is in reality. I get that. We face trouble, but we've got to remind ourselves God has already overcome that trouble. Therefore, I put my faith securely in Him. I have a hope that He is more than what I've ever seen. He loves me unconditionally. He's overcome my trouble. Everything is good. And then, we, of course, we come to love. Love, the greatest of all 
morality, the greatest of all disciplines, the greatest of everything we could ever do is love. And why can we love? Because God first loved us. And how did he love us? How did he love you before you ever even knew him, before you ever even turned toward him? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 that God demonstrated his love for us, for you and for me, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. That before we were even born, God already paid the price for our sin, all of our sin. Everything we've ever done, everything that we're doing now, and everything that we will ever do, the price has already been paid. Christ died on the cross carrying the sin of the entire world. And all we have to do is come to him and say, God, please forgive me of my sin. I, I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Christ died for the ungodly so that they could become godly. He died for the dead so that they could become alive. That's me. That's you. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God makes us alive through Jesus Christ. Can we go back to the question that we started with? If you knew that Jesus was coming to your house tomorrow to do something special, what would you do to prepare? Well, there was a Sunday school teacher who taught a class of young girls, and she asked them that question. And she waited for an answer, and they didn't really know how to answer that, but eventually they started with some answers, and one of them gave what might be the most popular answer, I would go home and start cleaning. And another said, I would go to the store. And another girl mumbled something about puppies and mermaids. But one eight-year-old girl gave a different type of an answer. She said, what I would do, I would go to the window and I would watch. What do you learn about that little girl from her answer? And does her answer give you the desire to change your answer? Well, it did me. You see, the disciples were having a discussion. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 18. And they were trying to figure out who is the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus brought a little child in and set the little child right in the middle of all of them and said, I'm telling you the truth right now. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Unless you become like this little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, little children have that great capacity for faith, hope, and love. I believe to possess those faith, hope, and love Putting our faith, hope, and love in God is much greater, much greater than having a doctorate in theology. You see, knowledge tends to puff us up 
But the Bible says those who put their trust in the Lord will never be ashamed. You see, as we become adults, we tend to leave behind all those childish things. And there are some childish things we need to leave behind. But Jesus says, but the foundational, the elementary things of a child need to stay intact with us throughout all of our life. Faith, hope, and love. In the middle of a world that's in trouble, we as Christians have a unique opportunity to show our faith, hope, and love that's just like a child. The children don't have to have all the answers. The children don't have to understand everything and figure everything out. And the children don't have an opinion about everything. But what do they have? They have faith, hope, and love. Those are the things that help us to overcome in this life. God's called you to be an overcomer through faith, hope, and love. Be the overcomer that you are destined to be and that the world needs to see. There are people watching us. We have the unique and distinct privilege of being ambassadors for Christ, showing the world faith, hope, and love. Let's do that now at a time that's critical. We are the body of Christ. We are his ambassadors. We are the children of God. And we have the opportunity to show the rest of the world what being a child of God is all about.